Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing Uh, as you know, we've been moving through the book of James. We're in James uh, chapter 3. And I'm going to start with uh, verse 2. <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip verse 1 just because it's a topic in and of itself, which I may get to, but I definitely want to get into James 3, uh, starting in verse 2. I'm going to read uh, 10 verses here, 10 or 11 verses here. But we're not going to focus on the entirety of this passage. It is the concept. We're going to focus on a couple of nuggets and probably try to bring them together for us here to encourage us this morning. So James 3, 2 through 12. And I'm going to be reading this out of the Passion Translation. It's been working for me. I love just the, the way it flows in my own dialect, in my own, the own way that I think, so it helps me. Uh, if it's tripping you up, then I would encourage you to go ahead and follow along with like your New American Standard or whatever version of the Bible you're reading. But I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. We all fail in many areas, but especially with our words. Now we could stop there and we could dig down pretty deep just into that sentence, but let's go ahead and continue on. Yet if we're able to bridle the words we say, we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way. That means our character is mature and fully developed. Horses have bits and bridles in their mouths so that we can control and guide their large bodies. And in the same way, mighty ships, though they are massive and driven by fierce winds, yet they are steered by a tiny rudder at the direction of the person at the helm. And the tongue is a fire. It can be compared to the sum total of wickedness and is the most dangerous part of the human body. It corrupts the entire body and is a hellish flame. It releases a fire that can burn throughout the course of human existence. For every wild animal on earth, including birds, creeping reptiles, and creatures of the sea and land, they have all been overpowered and tamed by humans. But the tongue is not able to be tamed. It is fickle. Unrestrained evil that spews out words full of toxic poison. We use our tongue to praise God our Father and then turn around and curse a person who was made in his very image. Out of the same mouth we pour out words of praise one minute and curses the next. My brothers and sisters, this should never be. Would you look for olives hanging from a fig tree or go pick figs from a grapevine? Is it possible for fresh and bitter water to flow from the same spring? So neither can a bitter spring produce fresh water. 
So there it is. Now, Jesus, there is so much in this. And it's, um, it's got some tripwires in it that if we're not careful, uh, we, might, um, we might step into some old narratives of shit. all fail in many ways, especially with our words. Yet, if we're able, oh, I love that yet. It's not hopeless here, folks. So yet, if we're able to bridle the words, we say we are powerful enough or we are empowered to control ourselves in every way. And that means our character is mature and fully developed. So it's an indicator. We'll talk more about that. And then let's jump to the other book in, which is towards the end of that passage of those 11 verses or so. And let's read James 3, 11 and 12. Would you look for olives hanging on a fig tree or go pick figs from a grapevine? Is it possible that fresh and bitter water can flow out of the same spring so neither can bitter water? Bitter springs, excuse me, produce fresh water. So let's approach these two and work it in a little bit. Um, This really reminds me of something that Jesus taught, especially that, um, that last part, James 3, 11 through 12. If we're not careful, the magnitude of what's just been shared and the, the visual imagery of like, you know, flames and wickedness and the destruction and ah, oh, that last part can get lost on us a little bit. So I want to actually bring it up a little bit and I want to read it from the perspective of Jesus. In Luke 6, remember Jesus and James are brothers, right? And so um, they, they were probably taught some of the same values and principles as kids. And they probably understood some things. And so Jesus, he's teaching about something very similar in Luke 6. We'll start in verse 43. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, right? And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from a thorn bush, and grapes are not picked from a bramble bush. Then he moves it right out of the metaphor into the human condition. And he says that a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Now this is the kicker. What you say flows from what's in your heart. It would be unfair for me and probably shame-inducing... If, uh, if all I wanted to tell you here was that you needed to do a better job of controlling your speech without approaching the condition of the heart, okay? And without encouraging us to really pay attention to how to cultivate goodness in our hearts, since from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, So this is getting kind of layered in deeper, right? So that's why I wanted to start with the ending. Because he's speaking of the heart. And so the tongue has the power to bring life and death. It's an instrument of the heart. And so allow me to tie this encouragement to King Solomon from Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So then we're going to start moving into some questions here. How do you keep watch or guard your heart? If we're going to say, yeah, James is really encouraging us 
that we need to be, be attentive to our words, that our words have power. We have to understand that when we are being encouraged to guard our hearts, it's going to have an effect on what we say. And so the question then is, how do we guard our hearts? Well, it's probably the same way we keep watch over anything we value, right? I mean, we're going to have a good sense of where it is. We're going to establish a parameter around it. And then we're going to try to ensure that no one or no thing enters into that parameter with the intent of stealing or harming the thing that you value, right? So imagine your heart, work with me here. It's a flower garden. And to establish this garden and to cultivate this garden, of course, you're going to want to maybe put a garden wall around it to keep the critters out, right? Uh, Maybe you search the plots, the tiers, the various levels for what? I guess we could call them weeds, but they're really invasive plants. And then you go and, you know, you just start the work. You go about the work of removing those weeds, those invasive plants, right? So you, you getting this? So in doing this work of the heart, you realize that, that not every invasive thought, not every motive or idea comes from outside. This is where I'm going to start to maneuver into some nuance here. We did... in inherit a tendency that's not very helpful, (laughs) right? I mean, quite harmful, actually. So I want to tell you the story about day three on my trip this last week. I'm walking through, and I have this pebble in my shoe. And uh, I tell my my mates, I'm like, I got a pebble in my shoe. And they just laughed, and we kept walking. And so finally, I was like, I got to get this pebble out of my shoe. So I I sit down, and I take my shoe off, and I just shake it, and I throw it back on, you know, because they're they're walking. <laughs> and so I, I walk and I catch up and I realize, dang it, that pebble's still in there. <laughs> and so I keep walking. <laughs> and finally I stop, you know, we're getting a break, you know, we're taking, and actually when we do these long hikes like we do, uh, we do take our shoes off, we take our socks off, we take the linings out of our shoes, we let them all air out for a few minutes while we're getting water and we're taking a snack and all that kind of stuff. And I realized that when I took my sock off, the pebble was actually like embedded in the sole of my foot. And I was like, huh. The the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, you thought that pebble was outside of you, but that pebble was embedded in your soul. (laughs) Dang it. It's so much easier to blame other people. It's so much easier to look outside of, you know, your own personal sense of responsibility. But sometimes guarding your heart isn't just trying to keep the critters out. It's being attentive to those things that you've inherited that are not helpful. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so sometimes, you know, when you're walking with a limp because you got this pebble in your shoe, um, maybe that's the Lord just kind of tapping on your shoulder being like, let's just pause, really. Let's just really pause. Let me lead you beside some still waters so I can restore your soul. Mm-hmm. So then um, there are several dynamics to guarding your heart. One is from outside influences that can impact the, the health of your heart. Okay. The other would be those internal propensities that are not always so cute. <laughs> um, but allow me to bring a challenge to us this morning. 
uh, a question that might actually seem a little incongruent with the topic, especially as we read it through James, and he's talking about, you know, the sum of all evil is coming from this place of your tongue. If James is pointing us to the reality that we fail in many ways, especially when it comes to controlling our tongue, it might seem strange for me to ask you then, and seriously ask you, do you value your heart? If the answer is no, then it follows that you will not keep watch over it. You will not guard it. You will not cultivate the good garden in your heart. You will actually pull away from it. You'll resist it. You'll create a wall between you and your own heart. Because you don't trust it. So if the answer was no, like I don't value my heart, um, then you might well use Jeremiah 17.9 as your proof text. Because we've all heard this, right? Especially if you've read it from the NIV, it will likely read something like, your heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, is that what Jeremiah really said? Am I allowed to, like, throw big question marks at what you believe? Let's look at the Septuagint. Septuagint. Now, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and it's what Jesus and his disciples would have read over 2,000 years ago. In fact, any time in the New Testament you see the Old Testament being quoted, they're quoting the Septuagint. They're quoting the Greek translation of the Old Testament because those guys spoke Aramaic. I mean, they were brilliant. They probably had many languages they were speaking. But um, I can promise you this. They were not quoting a translation that was produced by Western Protestants in 1978. And here's Jeremiah 17.9 from the Septuagint. The heart is deep beyond all things. It is the man. And who can know him? But then verse 10, I, the Lord, try the heart. So there's the answer. I, the Lord, know your heart. Um, I was with some friends several years ago, Steve and Gwen Smith, and um, Gwen, uh, Steve introduced me to this idea about Jesus being our fourth chamber friend. Now, you think about the chambers of your heart, and the first chamber are like friends that are acquaintances. The second chamber are friends that know things about you. The third chamber friends are intimate friends. Maybe your spouse might be on the short list. <laughs> and the fourth chamber friend, according to Jeremiah 17.9, we don't even know. We can't even be our own best fourth chamber friend. But Jesus is your only fourth chamber friend. He knows you. So back to the question, is your heart good? If you only look at your past list of failures, the answer will probably be no, <laughs> or at least not mostly. I'm at a why in the road right here in what I want to share with you because I actually want to validate the goodness of your heart, but I want to be a realist here. 
I could kick into the gear of telling you how absolutely amazing your heart is in its current condition, that your heart is wonderfully made and can therefore be trusted entirely, but I don't want to paint an unrealistic picture of the condition of your heart. I don't necessarily want to tell people to accept yourself the way you are because the reality is there might be a dozen ways that you could improve on being your best self. I have a humble confession here. As a human being, I have the capacity to do great evil. It's not beyond me. The soil of my heart can grow goodness, and it can also grow destruction. The rabbinical saying, the same fire that can warm you and cook your food can also burn your house down. So it's like, wow, okay, so what does that really mean when it comes to being a good person? I mean, I've heard some thoughts about this, that a moral person is not the one who lacks the capacity to do wrong and therefore complies to moral standards of goodness. No, a, good, a moral person is an individual who understands their capacity to bring great harm into this world and yet, as an act of a personal choice, motivated by the desire to bring good into the lives of other people, they choose to guard their heart and do what is good. They're the moral person. Could it be that watching over your heart isn't just protect your heart from outside threats? Could it also be that keeping watch over your heart means protect others from the threats that lay in the broken motives of your own heart? Oh. So maybe the, the, the watchman on the tower of your heart is looking both directions, right? Is it okay for me to say this stuff? I mean, because I'm actually like wrestling with this because I was raised kind of in this... Um, you know, and I'm talking raised like in the 90s, moving into the 2000s, where um, it was almost like denying the capacity to do evil was the Christian way. But honestly, it's like, no, as human beings, and, and James is putting it right there to us. He's like saying, you have the capacity. You could burn the house down if you wanted to. Jordan Peterson talks about good men. He says, it's... Uh, a good person is the one who knows that they're actually dangerous, but they choose to be good. Okay, so this is why we're encouraged to bridle the tongue. The word bridle here is found in the concept of mercy. We've heard this before, right? He, James even talks about bridling the horse. You know, you got this massive horse, big body strength. It's like incredibly powerful, and yet, for it to receive the bridle and submit to the master, then it is being merciful. It's bridled strength. That's where the concept of mercy is. You think about God, I mean, all-powerful. I mean, your next breath is a gift. And it's his mercy that just invites you into more beauty and more love. And more of him. That's mercy. Mercy is not impotent strength. It's not passivity. To be merciful um, is to realize that strength remains. The potential exists for a lot of things. Um, and yet it is under control. So you ever, this is a, this verse has puzzled me until I kind of clicked the dots here. I was just like, Jesus. Why did you tell your disciples that you're sending them out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as 
shrewd as serpents, yet gentle as doves. You guys ever hear that verse? You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, Jesus, why would you tell us to be shrewd like snakes? Probably because you realize that we're full of snakes if we're not careful and don't understand the power of yielding ourselves to the master and letting mercy reign our hearts so that we can be gentle as doves. It's like I have a sword and I know how to use it, but I choose to keep it in the sheath. That feels empowered. This is... um, I guess, you know, that thing about the rabbinical, the rabbinical saying, uh, the same fire that can warm you and cook your food can also burn your house down. The tagline on that is, therefore, be the guardian of the flame. So this is how we can be the guardian of the flame. So instead of asking the question, is your heart good? Maybe the better question is, can your heart be good? I want to point us to a prophecy from Ezekiel. I, the Lord, will give you a new heart. I will put my, I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you can follow my ways. Oh, let's settle into that. Because it's certainly supported by Paul in Ephesians 4, 23 25 when he says this it's time to be made new by every revelation that has been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him for God has created you all over again in his perfect righteousness and now you belong to him in the realm of true holiness So discard every form of dishonesty and lying. Oh, it's going back to words now. So therefore, discard every form of dishonesty and lying so that you can be known as one who always speaks the truth. For we all belong to one another. Truth talk. I just described like, you know, and a little bit. I just described a grand adventure. Hey, you want to embark on the biggest adventure of your life? Start telling the truth to everyone all the time. That'll be an adventure. (laughs) So let me circle back to James 3, verse 2 now. If we're able to bridle the words we say, we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way, and that means our character is mature and fully developed. You see here that God is inviting us into a fully empowered life. And that we're in the process of our characters being developed, maturing. In other words, for the dozen different ways that you can get better at being your best self, it's time to be made new by every revelation of the life union that you have with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And you'll know you're mature and your character is more fully developed when... Your speech is consistent, truthful, uplifting, and under control. So it's a bit of a litmus test, right? Did I say that right? Yeah, anyway. 
So as a final encouragement here, allow me to offer you a spiritual practice that will help you cultivate the garden, that will help you be a guardian of the flame, that will help you with the instinct to keep the sword in the sheath, okay? Um, it's a form of meditation that will help you guard your heart, cultivate transformation, and bring power to your speech as it is under control. And quite honestly, it was something that I pulled straight out of Philippians 4.8. I'm going to ask you to turn there, please. Philippians 4.8. Because I believe that this will probably do more for us when it comes to cultivating our hearts, guarding the flame, keeping that sword in the sheath, than most any other thing that I can tell you to do. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And a thousand times a day, whenever invasive thoughts enter your heart, just consider them like summer clouds that can simply drift off as you re-engage whatever is honorable and right, and pure, and lovely, and commendable, and excellent, and praiseworthy. So this requires something of us. I mean, it's a spiritual practice, and it's something that, I mean, we're encouraged to do as we are to take every thought captive. And so that's part of being a guardian of your own heart. All right. Well, I think I just uh, pushed out all I had. Thank you for listening. And with that, I just want to pray for us. And I just want to encourage us to um, allow the revelations to keep coming and Jesus to keep revealing himself and for us to be made new in that process of seeing more, knowing more, and experiencing more of him. So Jesus, you know the condition of our heart. You know that we're just people made of clay, that we were born into a broken and fractured world and we have been highly influenced by that world and by people that we look to to care for us who are also broken and fractured and in need. And so, Lord, we just want to thank you that you're not finished yet and that you are continuing to father us and be our primary caregiver. You're continuing to help, even in our old age, help us experience newness of life and transformation you're reparenting us really in so many ways and so Jesus as we consider the condition of our heart we want to thank you that your prophetic word is true that you have given us new hearts and you have replaced the stony hearts with a heart of like responsiveness and tenderness you have given us the capacity God to to do things beyond what was normal for us in the past. You've given us the capacity to live moral lives not based on compliance motivated by fear, but an empowered life that's motivated by love. And so we choose to submit to you in that. We choose to allow you to be our master and to bring the bridle. We choose, Holy Spirit, to listen to you in real time, in mid-sentence, when you tell us to shut it. 
Lord, let us be disciplined in that. And conversely, Lord, when you tell us to speak and we're afraid, when you tell us to say something and we're hesitant, when you tell us to use our voice to bring life and we have never valued our voice, it works both ways. Jesus, thank you that you have given us a voice. Thank you that you are not telling us to be silent. Thank you that you are not telling us to be impotent, powerless, passive, or to shrink. You're inviting us into an empowered life where our characters have been developed and matured through the revelation of Jesus and through the good, hard work of cultivating our own hearts as we watch over it. And I would just say, Jesus, that our hearts are valuable. I would just say, Jesus, that instead of pulling away from the thing that we don't trust very often and stepping towards it, that we will find you there. Because Jesus... You have taken up residence in our hearts. So Jesus, thank you for just speaking to us today. Thank you for worship. Thank you for the conversations that flow around this room in between times. And I just ask, Lord, that you would continue that. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that stands between us all. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page. 